Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We believe that God speaks to us in his word, and his word, though ancient, it is always relevant. And God teaches us about himself, and he also reveals things about ourselves. So we're going to sit in the shoes of Jonah today, finish the story, because it addresses some things that we experience on a daily basis about ourselves and some things about the world and which we live in and its struggles. A couple weeks ago, we learned that God sometimes asks us to do hard things, and we have a tendency to run the other way. We also learned that God's word is powerful and it accomplishes what it sets out to do. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach to it and warn it, of a ver that very wicked and evil city to turn and repent, and it did. Chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Yea, the stories are good when they have a happy ending. But there's another chapter in the book. And then in verse 1, we read, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What? People were saved from certain disaster. We should be happy, but Jonah was angry. And then in verse 2, He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious God and merciful. That's a problem. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from disaster. When was that a problem? And then in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. Jonah is angry. He didn't want those people to receive mercy and grace. Have you ever been angry with God? Frustrated, disappointed, thought maybe God could do a better job in your life thought he'd do something that you thought he should do and he didn't thought maybe he'd wipe out those people that are causing you all of your heartache have you ever been angry with God then we need to talk because we get angry and sometimes we get angry at God himself it's interesting. Every year the Jewish people celebrate Yom Kippur and they read the book of Jonah, all four chapters, and at the end, all together in unison, they say, we are Jonah. I hope you will see a bit, no, I hope you'll see a lot of yourself in the prophet Jonah today. So practical point number one, Pay attention to your anger. What makes 
you angry? What makes you frustrated? What bothers you? And what keeps you angry? It's a important question because it ultimately reveals your heart. Like Jonah, maybe we've been angry with God. Maybe we've not verbalized it, but we've been frustrated. It's not wrong to be angry, but it is a problem if you sin in your anger. Mm-hmm. Here's a real good question to ask yourself when you find yourself angry. Am I angry about something God is angry about? Whew. That's a great question. So let's look at the story. God is glad that the people have turned to him. Jonah is angry that the people have turned to him. <laughs> so Jonah is struggling with a sense of entitlement for himself. God, I belong to you. I, I've studied, I've learned, I've been faithful, morally upright, obedient, kind of sounds like someone else we've heard. In Luke chapter 18, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So Jonah's got this vibe that God kind of owes him a little bit. It's called self-righteousness. And it's one of the worst conditions you can possibly have. Because if you think any goodness that you have comes from yourself, then you'll think you're, you're better than others. And worse, you think you won't need God. Sometimes, as religious people, we can think that maybe we are entitled to God's compassion and his grace and his mercy, that we have a right to something from God, that we've earned somehow God's favor. In Psalm 53 and so many other places, everyone has turned away. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. He's struggling with that, Jonah is. He's also struggling with God's grace to others. Now, how many of you, when someone is blessed, you get a little bit jealous, a little bit envious? When someone else gets something that you don't get, you get annoyed. Jesus once likened God to the owner of a vineyard who paid everyone the same wage regardless of how much they worked. And he said, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Dear people, pay attention to your anger and pay attention to your despair. 
Jonah is despairing. What makes you despair? When emotions come, it's good to pause and ponder where are they coming from? He's moping, Jonah is. I'm so despairing, I want to die. Sometimes we can despair and it can lead to depression where we withdraw, retreat, give up. And sometimes this is suicidal thoughts, literally wanting to die. But Jonah knows God wouldn't be happy if he kills himself, so he suggests God take his life for him. Sometimes we can get frustrated with the world and everyone else. And we start wishing that the world would end. Some people even get obsessed with studying the end times. Lord Jesus, when are you coming back? When are you going to set everybody on fire and make this world good again, a happy place for me? When you get angry and despairing, you've got to examine your heart and ask why. And here's the deal. We are Jonah. True or false? Jonah's got good theology. True. He knows God. Listen to what he says. I knew you were gracious and forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He knows who God is. He's got good theology, but he's got a bad heart. He knows who God is. He just doesn't like him being nice to people who don't deserve it. And he quotes from Exodus. You heard it read earlier, Exodus 34. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Hey, Jonah knows his Bible. He's been taught well. He's quoting it verbatim. His knowledge of God up here, but it doesn't seem to be getting down here to his heart. We are like Jonah. He knows God, but he doesn't always feel what God feels. Jonah doesn't like the Ninevites. Got to bring it up. Do you see a little bit of racism in Jonah? I like it when you are loving to us, God, but not to them. I like it when you are merciful to us, but not to them. I like it when you forgive us, but not them. He doesn't want God to be consistent with all. He wants God to play favorites with his people. And the Bible reminds us God doesn't show favoritism. How do we even get to racism or showing favoritism? Well, I'll tell you. When your hurts become hate, a person or a group of people hurt you or perceived to hurt you, so rather than forgive them, you hate them. In this instance, these Assyrians were nasty and mean people. 
quite a threat to the children of Israel, military empire, powerful, rich, arrogant, bloodthirsty, kind of like terrorists. They had a reputation. They'd roll into town. They'd behead the men, rape the women, enslave the children, and then take all the plunder home with them and abandon all morality. Jonah heard the stories of that great nation 500 miles away. It had attacked Israel in the past. And it seems probable that Jonah's hurt became hate. And imagine if this happened to you. You got real arrogant and bully neighbors, or at least that's what you think. You haven't met them yet, nor do you care to, because you see how they tear up and down your streets on their loud motorcycles and trucks. You fear for the safety of your children. You see how they don't seem to care about the neighborhood. And then God comes to you and says, go knock on their door and witness to them. No, you hate those people because they've hurt you or you perceive they will hurt you. You don't want anything to do with them. Well, you may not want anything to do with them, but God does. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Sometimes favoritism develops when our preferences become our prejudices. This is how we do it. This is how they do it, style and culture. And you believe people should be like you. You allow your preferences to become your prejudices. Imagine you have a neighbor across the street. They're always throwing big parties and are noisy late into the night. Lots of cars parked on the street. Their kids are allowed to play out pretty late at night. They look different than you do. They wear different clothes and you can't understand them because they speak a different language. God says, go knock on their door and witness to them. You go, why? I don't even like those people. They are so different. And God says, well, I like them. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, we have a vision of heaven. And every tribe, every nation, every people group, Every language are represented, gathered around Jesus and worshiping him. And he's at the center. He brings everyone together. Sometimes we can show favoritism when we demonize, when we idolize. We ultimately demonize. If you idolize your race, your people group, your history... You will demonize other people groups. If you idolize your nation, you'll demonize other nations. Whatever team or people group you are a part of and you idolize it, you demonize other groups. It happens politically on the left and on the right. This happens racially with skin color. This happens with the rich and the poor. This can happen between men and women. 
young and old and explains generational conflict. When God acts loving and kind toward his people, Jonah is rejoicing. When God acts loving and kind toward another people, Jonah gets very angry and upset because he thinks God should think more like him and see his people as more deserving. And here's why. Jonah is thinking, they are my enemy. And God is thinking, uh, no, you are all my enemies. Romans reminds us, we were once God's enemies. Apart from God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, we're all enemies of God. For us to think that our enemies are somehow in a worse position before God as his enemies is to be blind to our own need for God. It's not God and his people are on one side and everyone, the bad people are on the other side. No, no, no. It's God is all by himself on one side and everybody else, us included, are on the other side. God does not play favorites. No. And this is how God treats his enemies. He has love and concern for them. He created them and he wants them to be saved. So he sent his son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus taught, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, and bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. True or false? Jonah doesn't look very good in this book that bears his name. He runs from God, he rebels against God, he puts at risk the lives of innocent sailors, he walks into town, reluctantly does the bare minimum, minimum, and Jonah is telling God that these are just very bad people and you should just give them the what for. When we sin, we tend to have a lot of empathy for ourselves. We, we can make excuses for ourselves. We even cut ourselves some slack but when others sin we can somehow think that we are better than them and what God is trying to show us here is that he has empathy love grace mercy and compassion for everybody not just people who like him who are like you and me but for everybody and God wants Jonah and us to have that same heart and concern for those who are lost. We were once like Nineveh, but the grace and mercy of God found us. And in verse 5 of chapter 4, Jonah went out and sat down in a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Stories usually end happily ever after, but not this one. What we get is a counseling session where God sits down with Jonah, his child. And the real issue is, who's in charge? 
Who's the boss? Jonah is sitting on his makeshift throne, probably up on a hill so he can oversee the city of Nineveh, and he's hoping that maybe they will go back to their wicked ways and God will destroy the city. He's got a few days to sit it out. We can all be very successful and very miserable if we don't have a pure heart. Some think that if I just get what I want, then I'll be happy. And God says, no, you need to have my heart and then you will be happy with whatever I give you. Jonah does not yet have God's heart for the people. He's struggling with God's compassion and God's forgiveness for others. Yet it's God's compassionate care and forgiveness that allows Jonah to remain alive and see the great work of God. And the same goes for us. You are here today, wherever you are, alive and with faith because of the mercy and grace and compassion of God. And then verse 10 and 11, the Lord said, he gets the last word, thank you. You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And the story continues. Many, many years later, along comes the Lord Jesus Christ. And he comes with a very different heart than Jonah. He comes to seek and to save that which was lost. And the Bible tells us he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. He has such compassion for them. And then Jesus teaches about forgiveness. Because on the cross, he's not crying out for the Father to obliterate his enemies. He is crying out, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. They don't know their right hand from their left. We are Jonah. We have received the grace and mercy of God, and may we want the same for everyone. Now, epilogue. Did Jonah ever change? I think he did. If he didn't, why write the story? The way the story is told is that Jonah is obviously, painfully not a good man. And God is clearly a good God. Jonah had to be the one who told us what he was thinking, what he was praying, what he was feeling, and what he was saying. Jonah gets brutally honest with us in this book. And eventually he meets with God. And like us, he's stubborn. But eventually he tells the story of his life. And he's not the hero. God is. And that's clear. That means there's hope for you and me. My prayer this day is that, yes, we are like Jonah. My hope and prayer is that we be like God and have a heart for all people.